All right, how you guys doing? Probably better after worship in the King of Glory. I love worshiping the Lord, and there is no other name but Jesus. One day we will be before His throne, worshiping together forever and ever and ever and ever. What a glorious day that will be. Well, it's good being with you guys tonight. It's been a while since I've been here. If you got your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 12 through 30. And uh, I've entitled this, Some Suffering and Then God's Glory. I want to recap a little bit, kind of start back at uh, verse 1 of chapter 8. Great chapter, really great chapter. I love how Paul opens it up that there is no condemnation. No condemnation. We really think about what that means to us. That there isn't some big God pointing his finger down on us and condemning us anymore. If we are saved, if we've received Christ as Lord in our life, we don't have that. We've passed from that, it says. And hallelujah. Thank Jesus for that. Paul, as he moves through that chapter there, he's contrasting what, at least what I see there is carnal Christians and spiritual Christians. You begin to see that a, a carnal Christian is one who's controlled by his or her flesh, that the flesh is in control. In other words, that can involve the emotions, that can in, involve feelings, that can involve the passions that we have as human beings. But that a spiritual Christian is to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And that's what Paul's trying to talk about. In chapter 7, he talks about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And his answer to it is, you need the Spirit controlling your life to help us with all of this evilness that's out there and the sinful nature that keeps trying to get us to do sinful things. And you guys know I'm an old guy. You can tell by the loss of hair and my gray hair. It's, listen, it's hard for me just like it's hard for you. Don't think that it isn't. That old flesh still hanging on to me just like it's hanging on to you. Matter of fact, it hangs off my arm. But Paul goes on further and he says that believers, that's you and I. In verse 12, he says that we're not under the obligation of the flesh anymore. That's hard for us to understand. It's hard for me to understand. We don't owe the flesh anymore. The flesh doesn't control us anymore. That's a hard thing to, to really grasp, but that's really what Jesus did. He freed us from our own flesh. And you're saying, well, come on now. I still deal with it. Of course you do. You're going to deal with this flesh until the day we go home to be with Jesus. But one thing that I realize is that the flesh becomes weaker as we live more and more by the Spirit of God. If I'm really walking in the Spirit, man, it's good. But when I walk in my flesh, when I feed my flesh, a lot of bad stuff happens. Good thing doesn't. Good things don't take place. The point is that the Spirit, when He controls our life, you know what you want to do? You want to feast on the Word. You want to pray. You want to fellowship. You want to share. You want to give. You want to obey. But when our flesh is really kind of in that rulership of our life, we don't want to do those things. We want to do the things of the flesh. And that isn't good stuff. In verse 15, he says that we don't have the spirit of slavery anymore. You know what's at the root of that slavery that he's talking about, that spirit of slavery? And Odile mentioned something tonight. Fear. 
It is fear. This world right now is gripped by fear. You know that with the coronavirus. Guys, you don't need to fear those things. We are in Christ, and Christ will take care of us. He will take care of us. Fear will cripple us. The media, everything around us loves fear. And the devil really loves it because it cripples God's people if we are gripped with it. So we aren't under that spirit of slavery that Paul's talking about there. Our world doesn't have hope. You do and I do. And that's Christ. Amen? He also says that we have in a spirit a spirit of adoption, that we have a very special relationship with Father God, with God himself. Now, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. And he has picked us to pass his name on. You know, you represent Christ wherever you go. I represent Christ wherever I go. Israel was supposed to do that. And they didn't do a good job a lot of times, just like we don't do it from time to time. But we are to pass his name on. And we have that special relationship where we call him Daddy. I didn't have a great dad, but I got a great dad in heaven. And he loves me so much in spite of myself, in spite of how sinful I am at times, in spite of tripping up and doing things that I shouldn't be doing. My father loves me and he loves you. And Paul goes on also to say that God's spirit has joined with us. When did that happen? In that moment of salvation when I said, yes, Lord, I want you and need you. And that's very special. We should sense a, a confidence and conviction that the Spirit is living inside of us and that we are His children. I hope you believe that because you are. You're His heirs. When this old guy dies, and my son's already talking about it, I think i got a few years left. They're going to inherit a bunch of stuff. They're my heirs and even my two little cute little grandsons that I have. I'm going to even give them some stuff and get my son mad. Nah. But he says one thing here in 15, and this will kind of put us right in the chapter, in the chapter uh, 8, verse uh, 18 that we'll look at tonight. Paul says this, if we are to share in his glory, we're going to share in his suffering. And we're going to talk about suffering tonight. Ultimately, suffering that we go through will lead us one day to being in God's glory, the glorification. And that's the day that I'm looking forward to, and I hope you're looking for that. Tonight's suffering, Paul says, when we face it, when we have it in our life, we need to compare it with the glory that is to come, with the good stuff that we're going to get when we get to heaven and when we see Jesus face to face. And while we suffer, we're waiting. Just like creation is waiting. And creation is groaning for his return. And the great thing about it is this. Jesus didn't leave us alone. What did he say? He told his apostles. They were bummed out. I was thinking, you know, thank you, brother, for sharing that. And when his disciples were all around him and he's talking about that stuff. And they must have started thinking, he's going to be gone. We're going to be lost. And he said, no, you're not. I'm going to leave my spirit with you. And it'll be a great thing. Because my spirit will lead you and guide you and direct you and do so many great things in your life. Let's all stand up as we honor God's word. I want to read verses 18 through 25. And Paul says this, talking about future glory. 
Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Talk about you and me. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised to us. Verse 24. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something, but yet have, excuse me, something we don't yet have, we must wait, what? Patiently and confidently. Let's pray. God, we wait patiently and confidently for you, for your return. I ask you, Holy Spirit, come tonight. Come touch every one of us, Lord. We've already been touched as we've worshipped you. The name above all names. The name that is so great and so powerful, Lord. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Help us to understand what you want to speak to us, Lord. Speak, Holy Spirit, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all sit down. As Paul writing, you know, through the book of Romans, it's such a different letter than all of the rest of them. I mean, he, this book is unbelievable. It really is. I'm loving that I'm getting to go through it and study through it again. Last time I studied, it was like 23 years ago. So I'm learning more stuff than you guys are through it. But, you know, Paul's mind is going and he kind of has a direction on where he's going and what he's talking about. And I'm going to talk about this and I'm going to talk about this and I'm going to talk about this. I think as Paul was writing this, Paul is very concerned with the Roman church. It's upon his heart. He wants to go and visit the church, which he's never been to before. I think he's concerned about their sufferings and struggles that they were going through. Maybe he heard some things that was going on. And I know Paul has that pastor heart. I have that pastor heart. And when I pastored, I was very concerned with the sheep that God placed in my hands and how they were suffering and how that can affect their walk as a Christian. And it can. When we go through suffering, it can affect us tremendously. It can cause a believer to lose his faith and cause a believer to, to lose hope. It can cause a believer to even wrestle with, does God really love me or he doesn't love me? If he loves me, why do I go through all these kind of things? When he uses that word suffering there, it really means hardship, pain. It could even mean physical problems or persecution. Here's a question for you, and this isn't the table talk, but I'm going to ask you. How many of you really like suffering? Raise your hands high. Suffering. Nobody. I don't like it either. <laughs> I, I wish I could bypass it. And I think you're kind of the same way. Suffering's not fun. Is it? Is it fun? It's not fun. 
It's not fun. When and where did suffering enter the world? Anybody? Take a guess. Where did it enter? Garden of Eden in paradise. Only took to chapter 3. That's when pain and suffering entered this world. How did it come into the world? Through man's disobedience. Remember when I taught back in Romans, talking about how Adam and Eve, they only had one commandment, one de 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 decree, one directive, one guideline to, to just do. And they didn't do it. What was it? Don't eat of that tree that's right in the middle. It's the, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can have every other tree that's out there, but don't eat that. And what did they do? They ate it. That's where it came in. Satan worked the woman. I'm not saying that Satan can't work the men. He can. But he went to the woman because he figured, well, maybe I can, I can get her to do something. And she did. She took it. Shared it with her mate. You know the whole story there. But it was very interesting as I went back and I looked at it is that God cursed Satan first. And then he went to the woman. Didn't go to the man first. Went to Satan first. Then he went to the woman. And women, you know what he said to the woman and what happened because of that fall. When you go in childbirth, it's not fun. It's a lot of pain and, and it and it hurts. I remember my wife almost made it here tonight, Jeff. But she woke up early. She's, she's, she's retired now, but she woke up about 5 o'clock this morning and met with a friend. But I remember when she went, you know, through giving birth to our two kids, and it was out of control. <laughs> I never saw my, my wife moan and groan so much in her entire life. She even swapped at me one time. I was eating this banana right in her face, you know, during the contractions. <laughs> I was hungry. They told us back in those days, bring something to eat. So I brought something to eat. But something really interesting happened too. After he spoke to the woman, he says, you're going to have trouble. You and your husband are going to have trouble. And within the marriage relationship, there's trouble in there. You know it. You've been married. I've been married 45 years, coming up on 46. There's trouble sometimes. You know, there just is. And he says, that's what's going to happen. You're going to, you and your husband are going to fight. And you're going to try and fight your husband. And he says, you know what I'm going to do to solve that problem? I'm going to have him be the head of the family. You know, it's a partnership, but something happened there. I don't know exactly what happened, but something interesting happened in that fall. And then he went after Adam. And when he spoke to Adam, he cursed creation because of it. And guess what? Because he did that, we got to struggle hard the rest of our life because of that. I'm going to say something to Adam when I get to heaven. I'm going to, I'm going to search him out and I'm going to talk to him. We would have done the same thing. You wouldn't have done any better, Jeff. So, you know. But suffering's part of being a human being, isn't it? They wanted to be Lord of their life rather than letting God be Lord of their life. What's the purpose of suffering? What's the purpose? This is what I believe. It brings growth. And it brings us close to God. God uses it to build and enhance our relationship with Him. To, to deepen our relationship with Him. I think Brother Ed even said something about that tonight. I think of two guys in the Bible. Lots of people had a lot of experiences. But I think of Job and I think of Joseph. And those two guys, man, they're examples of suffering unjustly and unfairly. 
They didn't deserve what they got. They really didn't. And they both experienced loss of family, position, money, possessions, all the things we value. All the things that we value. Did they wrestle with the why of suffering? I know they did. You wrestle with it from time to time. I wrestle with it from time to time. But it brought them closer to God. It didn't drive them further away from God. And be careful, Christian, that it doesn't drive you from God, but drives you to God on your knees before Him, just getting closer and closer. That's what He wants us. You ever notice that when you go through hard times? You pray more than you ever pray. You're all prayer warriors when you go through suffering in your life. God likes it that way. He likes to commune with us, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. They lost that. Well, he says this present suffering doesn't compare. It doesn't measure up to the future glory that is to come. See, I think Paul's trying to instill hope in them, in this church. Your suffering, I want to give you hope. It's not always going to be like this. Because you know what hope is? It's strength. It is strength. It gives us the ability to endure hardship. I'm a man of great hope. My family, boy, when they want hope, they come to me. Because I got a lot of them. I believe in a great God who is mighty enough to do anything. That he can change anything like that. That there is nothing impossible for my God. I don't care what you're going through. We can pray and see the God of impossibilities do something great out of that. And we'll talk a little more about that in a little bit. The fall of mankind brought suffering. But in the backdrop of eternity, suffering is just a moment. The older I get, the more I realize that. It's just a moment. It's so quick and it passes so quickly. Paul knows about the glory that is to come. Paul experienced it in paradise. Second Corinthians, I think we have that up here. Second Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. That's why I think Paul could really speak about the glory that's come. Look what he says. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. That's when he was beaten and almost killed. He probably died at that moment. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise. And listen to this. I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. Wow. Peace all the glory of God. I think we've got a slide on the three heavens you have up there. See, the first heaven is, is air. It's the sky. You know, it's, it's what we look at and what we breathe. The second is that celestial part out there where the planets are and in the third heaven then is where God dwells. Is that outside all the celestial stuff? I don't know. It's out there somewhere. But that's where God dwells and that's where the Apostle Paul was caught up to. He took him up to the third heaven and then he sent him back again. Creation he says is eagerly waiting and it's groaning and you and I as Christians should be eagerly waiting and groaning as creation does. Creation is waiting eagerly for the revealing of God's people. That, that God will show us that we are his heirs and we are his children. Creation, Paul says, is subjected to God's curse. And it happened. They didn't ask for it. This creation did not ask to get cursed. 
It happened because of Adam's sin. It was against their will, is what it was. And we have thorn and thistle that happens in Genesis chapter 3.18. You wonder why there's so many weeds out there? Because of the curse. In verse 21, though, what he said is that the earth one day will be set free of death and decay. The curse will be gone. It will be wiped out. Pain, sickness, disease, cancer. You know, probably everybody here tonight has somebody in their life that you know that's had cancer, right? I got a great friend of mine. I discipled this man. He's got just an awesome family that's just serving Jesus. He's got Parkinson's disease. And I just got to see him, I think it was Sunday night, with a whole bunch of people as we kind of celebrate my wife's birthday and our retirement. It was wonderful seeing these people. I haven't seen, I've seen them, you know, over the years, but they're friends for 40 years. And he's got Parkinson's disease and he's just shaking and it's, and it's debilitating. And as I'm studying through that, this section, I'm thinking, one day he won't have that anymore. It'll be gone. All the sickness and the sorrow. He says that creation is groaning. Literally, it means it's moaning like a woman in childbirth. You know, ladies, if you, how many women have had children? Oh, you don't raise your hand. The pain intensifies and it gets closer and closer together just as it ready, that beautiful baby boy or baby girl is ready to come out and visit. That's what he's talking about here. Creation is groaning. Every time I hear about an earthquake on this planet Earth, I know the Earth is groaning. It's waiting for God, the creator of the universe, the one that created it, to come back to it. That's the groaning that this planet goes through. He says believers groan in verse 23 like creation does. But listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.2. He says, for indeed in this house, he's talking about this tent that he has, and he's getting to be an older man as he writes this, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, that new body. And he says, we eagerly wait. You know what that means? It means intense anticipation, intense longing or desire for what? What did Paul say that, that, that he's waiting like this for? For the complete adoption that you and I will have. Complete adoption. I don't know if we have any foster kids here or any of you have ever been adopted. I have friends of mine who adopted a foster child. And it took a while. It was a process. It took time. And then finally they adopted this little guy. We called him Judah Ben-Hur because his name was Judah. Cutest little guy, craziest kid I've ever seen in my life. But I loved him to death. But, but that's what he's talking about. We're eagerly waiting for that complete adoption. You know what happened in the Roman Empire? I didn't know this, Jeff. I mean, it's great. I love studying this stuff. That when the Romans would adopt somebody, they would publicly do it in front of everybody else. In other words, when the time came up for that adoption to take place, that they would have all sorts of people come, like we'll pretty much have a party, and then they would say, this is my son. And I'm so proud to bring him into my family. See, that's what God will do to us one day. Yes, we're adopted, but we don't have the paperwork yet complete. You understand? That, that's what Paul is trying to say here. So he's waiting eagerly for that and also to be released from sin and suffering. 
getting that new body that's talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I love that. I love that I'm getting a new body. It's going to be incorruptible. It's not going to be subject to, to death and decay. And it's not going to be subject to, I love this the best, the sin nature that I have. One day we won't wrestle with that ever again. The old body will be put off in a new body that doesn't have that sin nature in it. We won't have to struggle through all of that. That's why Paul's eagerly waiting for that. But he says that God has given us his indwelling spirit as a down payment. That's that foretaste that he's talking about, the first fruit that's mentioned in, in the New American Standard. And he says this, we wait in hope. We wait in hope for what we have not seen. I haven't seen Jesus. You seen him? You seen heaven? I haven't seen him. Paul did. See, Paul did. He saw Jesus. He talked to Jesus for three years out in the wilderness. He was discipled by him. He said, what are you talking about? Talk to me later. I'll talk. I'll, I'll let you know. He was taught just like the apostles were. And he saw heaven. He saw it. So he was waiting in hope. We can't see our redemption and inheritance yet, but we know it's coming. And knowing it will happen should help us to wait patiently and confidently. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about when I was a little kid and I got a new bike for Christmas when I was a young little guy. Any of you get a new bike for Christmas? Yeah. Man, you waited with so much anticipation it was just about killing you. You know, in my family, I tell you, they were just full heathens. You know, we worship, we worship, uh, S Santa. I was almost going to say Satan, but it was Santa. Did you know that you take Santa and Satan, you just mix the letters around and they come out that way? Satan, Santa. I'm not saying he's Satan, but. But I was thinking about that, you know, when a young person waits for that, you know what that involves? It involves trusting the gift giver. And see, we got to trust the gift giver, God, to give us all the stuff that he's promised to us. And he will one day. All of it. All of those things he's going to give to us. So here's your table talk, all right? You've got to have about five minutes. We're talking about suffering. We'll end one day that we're going to see the glory of God. We're going to be set by set free from sin and disease. So this is what I want you to talk about. If you are presently suffering, does this section of Scripture give you hope? Does it help ease the pain of your suffering? All right, explain that. I know it's a yes or no, but explain what that's going on. Is it helping you or not helping you? Be honest. All right, five minutes. Listen, I, I think Paul really struggled with that. He had already been caught up into heaven. I think he really wanted to go home and be with the Lord. Look at what he he says in Philippians 1, 23 through 27, he says, I'm torn between two desires. In another translation, he says, I'm torn between two directions. Two directions. I long to go with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I can be sitting back here because his job wasn't done yet. His ministry wasn't done yet. He was there to serve people and to teach people about the things of God. The guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Thank God he did send him back for us. All the dizziness of Christians. Next slide.
slide? Slide? You got the slide? <laughs> Are you guys up there? <laughs> I guess you guys don't have that. Did you have that? Did you have that? You don't know? Okay, well, I guess it's not there. I had a slide of old Larry Norman, who was one of the guys in the godfather of Christian music. Some of us older people with gray hair, we know who it is. And they have a picture of him kind of holding his head. There it is, right there. Holding his head like going, oh my God, I'm sure glad I'm holding this again. But he's home to be with Jesus already. He's already beat me there. But we are, guys. Heaven awaits us. That glory that Paul is talking about is going to be there. We're going to be there as soon as possible. I think this, and this is what I think. I think that the closer relationship the more we know about heaven, the more we want to be with God and be in heaven. And I also believe this, too. I believe that the more dissatisfied we are with this life, and with this world, the more we can't wait to get to heaven. I can't make that happen in you. I can't ramp you up and say, you've got to believe. I can't do that. But I trust that the Holy Spirit will put that in your heart. My family can be with heaven a lot, you know, be with the Lord and, and be in heaven. I want to go there. I've been wanting to go there since I was 18 and a half years old when I gave my life to Jesus. My son asked me one time, we were talking about heaven and, and, you know, I don't know, I'm always talking about heaven and going there. And he asked me, he said, Dad, what does heaven look like? Yeah, I mean, what's it, what's it going to be like? And, and instead of saying, oh, you know, go to the book of Revelation or go something like that, you know what? I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, say, Son, ask that the Lord will reveal to you what heaven is like. I've had it happen many times. You know, I, I had it happen so many times in, in worship times, in small groups and in larger groups and stuff. Just the sense of heaven and what it's going to be like. Back in the 80s, there was a group called the Promise Keepers, and some of you guys went there, and I went there. It was 70,000 to 100,000 men that were gathered at the Los Angeles Coliseum, and we were all worshiping. And I don't even know what songs we were doing. It just went on for a half hour, an hour, and I am telling you, I would not like how God kind of showed it to him and how he experienced what heaven was like, but he went to a YouTube YouTube. YouTube concert. And he said, all of a sudden, you know, and Bono, he's a very spiritual man. Whether he's saved or not, I think he might be. But it was all dark and little lights going all over. And, and God just showed him what heaven was going to be like with the multitudes of people that were going to be up there. If you have never had that experience, guys, Ask God to show you. Maybe it'll be some other place. Because you need that. You need that revelation of what heaven is going to be like. And that'll make you want to get And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we do not know what God wants. Excuse me. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. 
But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. The Spirit is in harmony with God's own will. In the Amplified Version, it says this, So too the Holy Spirit comes to our aid, to our aid, and bears us up in our weakness. For we do not know what prayer to offer or how to offer it worthily as we ought, but the Spirit himself goes to meet our supplication and pleads in our behalf with what? Unspeakable yearnings and groanings too deep for utterance. We need help. Paul knew that all the words that he felt really sin, and Paul is telling them, look, the Spirit is here to help you. The Spirit is here to assist you in your weak moments and in those times of suffering that maybe you're going through. The Spirit will help you know how to for future things. That's the responsibility of the Spirit that He left for you and I. The Spirit can give us spiritual insight. And what I mean by that, the Spirit can, can tell us what to pray for and how to pray for specific things. The Spirit knows how we are to pray. He, Paul says he fully knows the mind of God. And that he fully knows our mind. The Spirit intercedes for us, it says, with yearnings, with groanings, too deep for words. The Spirit inside you and I, it assists us with those deep feelings and conviction as we do. I've never experienced that. I pray that you will experience that. Moses interceded for Israel constantly. God was ready to wipe him out so many times and he'd say, hang on, hang on. See, that's standing in the gap and interceding on their behalf. Just like Jesus intercedes for us. John chapter 17, the great high priestly prayer. He's praying for believers at that time and he was praying for us. Interceding on our behalf. That's what Jesus did. Remember Peter? He said, Peter, man, Satan is going to sift you bad. Satan's going to work you over, and I'm praying that you're going to come out on the other end and you're going to be stronger. And he did. Jesus was interceding for him. Some of you have the gift of intercession. You really do. Where's Martha? Is Martha in here? She's got the gift of intercession. I don't have it. She can pray for hours and hours, and it's not a chore. I pray for hours and hours. It's a chore. God's given her a gift. She's got passion for it. Get what I'm saying? I got passion to teach God's word. I could do that. I could have a serve for three hours if Jeff would let me. <laughs> but you know what? God does lay people upon my heart, and He's always done that my whole entire life. All of a sudden, I'll think about somebody. <laughs> I just run into him. I said, I'm going through this or I was going through that. You see, that's the Spirit of God. We have a really good friend of ours. Remember, I said those people gathered at my, my son's house. They're great, great friends. 
God woke her up three nights in a row. Three nights in a row, and she was praying for our family, for us. Three nights in a row. My wife and I, we were pastoring at the time. Our kids were teenagers. We needed lots of prayer. And after that third night, she calls my wife and she says, what in the world is going on? She goes, God woke me up and I've been interceding for you guys for three nights. I think she was getting tired of woke up to try to figure out what it was. And my wife all of a sudden began to explain to her. I think it was that last night or maybe the night. No, I think it was that last night that she prayed. She said, well, let me tell you something that happened to our son. My son and his three buddies were going to Halama Beach to go surf. And they were driving the thing I used to call the silver bullet. It was this piece of junk Ford Ranger with silver all over it, just painted. It looked like someone painted it with their hands. And they were headed on up there, and he to this day still, he still wasn't going too fast. I know he was. He was going too fast. He hit the bottom of this bridge or something, and it got him whacked out of control and all of a sudden, my son said they ended up with the truck hanging over the cliff and it was about 20 feet down, down below them. He said, Dad, we looked down there and there was a cow down there by the creek. And they were just panicked, sitting in their car. But all three of the truck completely full. They finally got out of the truck, realized that they did it. And I think one of the guys had to pull my son finally out of it. They got out of it. Then they had an ingenious idea. Really wasn't genius. They started unpacking the back of the truck. Guess what happened? Woo! Down to the bottom. Crashed up. Two days later, me and my son had to go kind of pick it up, but it was trashed. Our friend was interceding. The Spirit of God was speaking to her heart to pray. And it was really for my son. I mean, he should have died that night. He really should have. But that's what intercession does. You see, the Spirit knows how to pray in harmony with God's will. The Spirit is always on target. Always on target. Ephesians 6.18 says this, With all prayer and petition, pray at what all times in the Spirit. Perseverance and petition for all the saints. That's what grace was. She was she all of a sudden picked up and the Spirit woke her up and she was praying for us. Listen, sometimes I get clear direction on how I'm supposed to pray. Not all of the time. You guys know, remember that neighbor from hell that I had that liver? He's gone, you know. Now. But I, I didn't get the... You know, I did. I prayed in what the Bible calls tongues. First Christmas. Corinthians chapter 4, but it's what a lot of Christians call their prayer language. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to talk to me later about all of this stuff, come on, I would shift on into praying in that spiritual language. Well, why did I do it? Because I wanted to pray in target because I wanted to pray in the Spirit. I wanted to be in harmony with God's will. This is what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says this, For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying. But I don't understand what I'm saying. First Corinthians 14.5a says this, I wish you could all. The point is that we pray in the Spirit is a Praying 
God's will. Revelation about verse 28 through 30, and we're going to wrap it up. And we know that God causes everything. Remember, this is in the context of suffering. Everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, He gave them the right standing, that's justification, with Himself. And having given them right standing, He gave them glory. All suffering is a part of God's plan. It truly is. That's what I see in that verse there. We know God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called for His purpose. We know we need to understand know that everything that you're going through that there is what it means by God causing it. There is purpose in it. His ways are always right. And as I say all the time, He's always working behind the scenes. Always. God's never sleeping. He's always on the job. Causes all things, everything. Everything. Little thing, big thing. Hard thing, joyful thing. All things. He works together for our good. Remember, what's the purpose of it? Well, it's for growth. It's for maturity. Why does God do that? Because He loves us. He loves us. I want to see my two little grandkids grow up to be great men of God. You know, not that they're going to do something special. I just want them serving God with their whole heart. And Grandpa's going to try and help them as much as he possibly can. That doesn't mean that Grandpa does everything from time to time. I want him to suffer through some things. I taught my son to suffer through some things so he would learn that life isn't easy. He knows that. One of the things he says, he said, Dad, you taught me that life's hard and you got to work hard. That's molding us, guys. God molding us. New American Standard said he's conforming us. You know what that word comes from? Morphe. And I don't usually use Greek words, but you know what morph means. See, God's morphing you and I to look through Jesus, to act more like Jesus. That when people look at us, they go, wow, that guy's really kind of changed a lot. Must be something going on there. You see, that scripture right there, I'm going to tell you guys, put it in your heart, learn it, memorize it. That would be one of the greatest verses you could ever have. That verse right there has brought me so much peace and so much comfort in the midst of the suffering. Some of you are suffering through some things right now. Some of you aren't. But boy, when you do suffer through those things, isn't it good to know that God is working for you? That God one day will glorify us, right? Because He justified us. We were justified because He called us. He called us because He predestined us to be His sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn. He's the first, and what it means by that, He's, and we're almost wrapping it up, He's the first person with a human nature. Remember, He's all human. 
but all God that was raised from the dead and was glorified. In other words, Jesus opened the door for us to experience that glorification that one day will come to you and I. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus. We thank you that when he left, he sent us his Holy Spirit. But thank you that from time to time, when we wrestle with our flesh, when we wrestle with the things of the world, that the Spirit is always there. The flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing. Help us as your followers, Lord, to allow you to work in our life by your Holy Spirit. Help us not to push aside the Spirit, but help us to welcome him into our life. God, we pray that you would send your Son. But as we wait for him, Lord, we will tell others about you. We'll let them know about the change that's taken place in our heart by your Holy Spirit, the sufferings that we go through to draw closer to you and to have a deeper relationship with you. Reveal heaven to your people, Lord. 